Can you just tell him he's worthy right now? Hallelujah, you are worthy today, God. You are the only one that's worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your name, glory to your name, glory to your name. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, somebody say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise your name. First Thessalonians. Chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15. And I feel this this morning, even in this concluding song. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And these words were meant to bring comfort because he goes on to say wherefore not scare one another with these words not terrify one another with these words but what can happen in church is these words can comfort one another with these words today I want to comfort you with these words so shall we ever be with the Lord <laughs> So shall we ever be with the Lord. I want to minister today for just a few minutes on this. Closer than they appear. Closer than they appear. The older that I get, I have to pick which pair of glasses that I want to pick up. Depending on how far out or how close something is to my face. I have one set of glasses for close-up, and I have another for far away. Not wearing any this morning because I'm just going to stand in the middle somewhere today. The Word of God allows us to get perspective and see things with clarity. Today, I want to minister that there are some things that are closer than they appear today. The Word of God will help us see that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence that is here right now that I feel in this house. That's evident, God, and, and among us right now. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, as I'm ministering, let your spirit move throughout this congregation, drawing people, stirring people through your word. 
dealing with people today, God, bringing them in a closer relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody say amen. God bless you. you may be seated. On nearly all mirrors that are attached to vehicles, there is a warning on the bottom of the mirrors, and they say this, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Meaning, just because you see a reflection of that object, because you see the image in that mirror, it may seem like it's a long way off in that mirror, but we are warning you right now, it's closer than you think it is. People, and I pray today there's none in church, but if there is, you're in the right place. People, depending on apocalyptic events to somehow wake them up like an alarm clock, to the sounding of the trumpet, we'll never hear it. The Bible and past actions of humanity have already proven that despite all of the warnings regarding the coming of Christ, the vast majority of people will be completely stunned and taken off guard by this event. Scriptural study indicates in Matthew 24 that it is possible and even more probable that over half of the so-called church could be lost. Two in the field, one taken, one left. Same location, doing the same thing. Two grinding at the meal, one taken, one left. It's a sobering thought and yet a reality that half the people you are sitting with in church this morning may not actually go up in the rapture. How is it possible that the second, the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church could be so clearly laid out in the Scriptures with clear and concise signs as to when it will happen, and yet millions will be lost. How do I know that so many people could be oblivious to something that's so obvious like the rapture of the church because it's already happened once? Not the rapture. But there have been so much that has been missed even before today. The Bible is different from many other religious books in the world. In fact, it contains over 2,000 fulfilled prophecies without error. It's like history written in advance. There's over 332 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Mathematician Peter Stoner, Brother Josh, you would appreciate this, said that if you took just eight, eight of the 332 prophecies, the odds of one person coincidentally filling all of these prophecies would be one in the 10th to the 17th power. Now, since we can't easily picture that, and I was never that good at math anyway, I kind of want to know what the odds are that all the prophecies would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so the illustration is, if you took the state of Texas and spread silver dollars across the entire state of Texas, two feet deep, that's a lot of silver dollars, 
and then marked just one of them and buried it somewhere in the state, an entire state, two feet deep in silver dollars, and you marked one of them and buried it. And then if you just chose one person, blindfolded them and told them to pick just one silver dollar and it had to be the one that was marked. The chances of him getting that marked on his first try is one in ten to the 17th power. And so Philip Stoner students at Westmount College made the same calculation with 48 prophecies and came to the extremely conservative estimate of 10 to the 157th power. That's 48. But D Jesus didn't fulfill eight. Jesus didn't fulfill 48. He fulfilled all 332 prophecies about the coming Messiah. The fact that Jesus fulfilled so many prophecies with 100% accuracy proves two things. Number one, there is a divine author behind the Bible. This isn't just a bunch of stories put together, not a bunch of fables, not a bunch of nursery rhymes, but this is the inerrant word of Almighty God. And though there are many writers, there's only one author. The second thing that all of those prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus Christ proves to us is that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. The Almighty God. The Almighty God. Here are some of the prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. Just some at his birth. Number one, he would be born in Bethlehem. Of all of the cities in the world, the prophecy would be he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5 and 2, But thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, thou be little among the thousands, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is the ruler of Israel. This was fulfilled in Matthew 2, 1 through 6. It also prophetically spoke that he would be a descendant of King David. Isaiah 11 and 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This prophecy was fulfilled in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. Another prophecy, Israel would be occupied by a foreign power. Genesis 49 and 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh come, and to him shall the gathering of the people be. This was fulfilled in John 18 and 31. He would be born of a virgin, fulfilled in Matthew 1, chapter 21 through 25. And I could go on 329 more times if you have the time. And he fulfilled every single one of them with 100% accuracy. The rabbis in Jerusalem knew all of the scripture. They knew it about the Messiah and knew it probably better than me and you. They had studied them for hundreds of years. Pagan wise men, however, came from the far east to worship Jesus at his birth. But rabbis who supposedly knew the scriptures didn't even travel five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to check out the signs that were being fulfilled. As Jesus' ministry grew in popularity, and as he fulfilled more and more of these signs, the rabbis, the Pharisees, 
The Sadducees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin grew more and more calloused to the prophetic fulfillments happening all around them. Do you see the similarities? More and more calloused. Is there ever been an age where we have grown more calloused than we are right now? We read so much. We see so much. So much, so many images, so much news, so much information is literally at our fingertips. We are so inundated with information that we literally become desensitized and callous to the fact that there are signs all around us to the coming of the Messiah. But it's happened before. There are 25 Old Testament prophecies dealing with the events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Just the crucifixion, including his betrayal, his trial, his death, his burial, all prophetically spoken. They were uttered by many different voices over a period of 500 years. And yet, hear me out. Over 500 years of prophecy was fulfilled within 24 hours in one person on the day that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and yet they did not see it. 500 years of prophecies fulfilled in 24 hours in one person. How much does a person actually control over the events surrounding their death and even after their death. And yet, they still didn't believe. And yet, they were still calloused and unmoved by the events going on all around them. Matt, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25 prophesied that the Messiah would be announced to his people Listen to this, 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, how many of you today could prophesy something that's going to happen 483 years in the future? Now, if you did, and you were 100% accurate, I'm going to call you a prophet. 483 years Daniel prophesied the Messiah would be announced. Would you believe this was fulfilled to the exact day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in his triumphal entry recorded in John chapter 12 and 12 through 13, and yet they still didn't believe. But we also know the scriptures pertaining his second coming. We like to get real, real self-righteous when we talk about the Sadducees and the Pharisees missing out on the birth of Christ and all of these Old Testament prophecies. How could they have not known? Well, it's very easy for us to see in hindsight and being able to see scriptures from our perspective. But just as they miss so much about the coming of Jesus Christ and about the Messiah, can I tell you, regardless of how much many know today about the scriptures, many of them do not understand just how close we are to the second coming of the Messiah. 
Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today, we are literally a short distance away from his second coming, and yet so many are seemingly unaware or unconcerned, just like the Jewish scholars. Daniel 12 and 4, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book, even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. The Daily New York Times now contains more information than the 17th century man or woman would have encountered in a lifetime. A single issue. About a thousand books are published internationally every day. The total of all printed knowledge doubles every five years. As we go from grade school to high school, we learn only one billionth of what there is to learn. There is enough scientific information written every day to fill seven complete sets of Encyclopedia Britannica. There is enough scientific information written every year to keep a person busy reading day and night for 460 years. In the last 30 years, mankind has produced more information than in the previous 5,000 years. In the last 30 years, more information has been produced than in the previous 5,000. Information is not our problem. Evidence is not our problem. Needing to know more is not our problem. There are more signs, more information, more resources, more availability to what's going on in every corner of this planet. The reality of it is we've got a world that has grown callous to the signs that are passing by us. We as people of God need to be reminded we are living in the last days. And there is a God that's about to split the eastern sky. We must be reminded for urgency's sake, for law's sake, for the sake of our community and our friends. There is a God that's about to return for his people. My brother and my sister, a heartfelt prayer goes out today to every single person that is listening to me minister the word of God today. To move you, to stir you, not to scare you, to stir you. Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach this gospel. I'm the one that will stand before God and I'll be asked, did you tell them how close I was to coming back? And so I'm telling you today, whether it scares you, stirs you, moves you, or somewhere in between, I'm here to tell you God's about to come back. The return of the Lord is about to take place. And wherever you may feel you are spiritually, I challenge you today to make sure you're ready to meet him. You make sure your relationship with God is where it needs to be. I speak that from a personal place. As I stand behind this pulpit today, I look at the signs of the times. I look at what's taking place. I look in the mirror and I ask myself, am I ready to meet God? Rapture of the church is not going to happen right after the world blows up. If that were the case, 
The Bible says the rapture of the church is going to be like a thief in the night. And if there was some huge apocalyptic event that would make it obvious, uh, that would be the equivalent of the thief knocking on the door, ringing the doorbell, making you aware of I'm about to come in this house. The root definition for rapture is catching away. The rapture is the quick catching away of God's church. Much like Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, one moment he was here, and the next he was gone. Isaiah was suddenly called up into heaven's throne. Philip, the same word was used. One moment he was in the desert, and the next he was in another place. Paul, he was called up into the heavens, same word. Boom, gone. John the Revelator, one moment he was in Patmos, the next he found himself in heaven. It's that quick catching away of God's saints. Revelations 4 and 1, and after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as if there was a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Before a nation goes to war with another nation, all of its ambassadors are called home. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And before he goes to war with iniquity and sin, can I tell you, his ambassadors will be called home. The Bible tells us that this rapture, this catching away, first of all, it's imminent. It may occur at any time. Matthew 13 and, or Mark 13, 33 and Luke 12 and 40. Any time. Someone say any time. Luke tells us you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. Mark 13 and 33 says be on guard, be alert, because you don't know when the time will come. Don't fool yourself into thinking. I want to talk to our young people today. Don't fool yourself into thinking there's going to be something so obvious that everybody on this planet is going to know that Jesus is about to come back. Every prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before he can come back has already been fulfilled. We are living on borrowed time right now in 2023. I may not finish this sermon. There ain't nothing that's got to happen. There ain't nothing that's got to take place. I'm telling you right now, it's imminent. It could happen at any moment. I'm not telling you that to scare you. I'm telling you that to make sure you're ready. I'm telling you that so you're right and ready to meet God. I tell you that because we live in an hour of procrastination. People will push things off. They will delay. They will reschedule. They'll push things down the road. They'll kick the can down the road. Let me tell you something. You can reschedule your doctor's appointment. You can reschedule a, do a dentist appointment. You can reschedule a lot of things in your life. But honey, do not procrastinate getting right with God because his return is imminent. It's not only imminent, it's sudden. Someone say sudden. 1 Corinthians 15 and 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. In a flash, the New International Version calls it moment. The King James Version calls it 
the root word there is Adamus or Adam. It's the smallest part of time. An Adam of time. That's how long it's going to take for you to get here from here to there. The smallest amount of time measurable. Twinkling. Twinkling. The root word there is to hurl or rapid movement. GE estimated the blink of an eye <clears throat> is one one-fiftieth of a second. It has been estimated we blink 25 times per minute. Meaning, if you drive your car 55 miles an hour on a 10-hour trip, you drove with your uh, eyes closed 33 miles. That's scary, right? Makes me want to put, yeah, some of them longer. Makes me want to put toothpicks in my eyes. My Lord, I can't drive with my eyes open. A 10-hour trip, 33 hours with my eyes closed. But yet, it's going to be that quick. The fact that you could blink your eye and be looking at this carpet, and when you open your eyes up, you could be there. <laughs> In a flash, the smallest amount of time. So it's going to be imminent. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be transforming. It's a supernatural change. 1 Corinthians 15 50. Declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. For the perishable, the mortal, must clothe itself with immortality. Not only is it imminent, not only is it sudden, but it's transforming. The body that you have right now will not be the body you have over there. I was telling Brother Austin this yesterday. The reason why a lot of people resist in time preaching. And the reason a lot of people don't like preaching on heaven and God's about to come back. Preacher trying to scare me. Hollywood took that away from me a long time ago. It's funny how people are afraid of me going to church and getting scared because I'm preaching on the rapture, but go home and watch a horror movie. Honey, if I could scare you into heaven, I'd done it a long time ago. Because I'll do whatever it takes to get you there. But the reality of the, the, the matter is... That <laughs> the Bible tells us that we're going to get a new body. And so the reason a lot of people resist preaching about heaven and hell and the catching away and God coming back is because their flesh is not challenged by heaven preaching. Your flesh likes it right here. You can complain and you can gripe and you don't like your job and you don't like your, your, your boyfriend and you may not like your husband. I don't know. You may not, but there's a lot of things you don't like. But you know what? Most of you ain't ready to leave. Most of you are like, well, I'm going to tell you what, it ain't that bad. You know why? Your flesh likes it here. That's the gratification that the flesh has, the gratification of this world. The reason your flesh is not challenged by this world, it's not going. You're getting a new body, but my flesh may not be challenged, Pastor Barber, but there's something inside of me, a spirit, a soul, that soul desires to unite with God, to be in his presence, to see my reward, to be 
be with God for all eternity. Don't expect your flesh to get excited about heaven. It ain't going. Your flesh wants to do what it wants to do right now. The gratification of the moment. uh, To live for the moment. Uh, You do you. You do whatever makes you happy. Uh, Why? Because this is the end all, be all for your flesh. Uh, But the ever part of you inside uh, that will not die. uh, That will will live forever somewhere. Can I tell you, uh, it should be challenged by eternity. tourist in Switzerland visited a beautiful mansion surrounded by well-kept gardens. Someone asked him, how long have you been the caretaker here? The gardener answered, I've been the caretaker here 20 years. They said, well, how long does the owner of this property actually come to visit you? He said, well, he's only come four times in 20 years. And to think said the guest, that you keep this property in such immaculate shape as though he might come tomorrow and he's only been here four times in 20 years? The caretaker, the gardener replied, no, I don't look after these grounds as if I expect him to come tomorrow. I look after these grounds like I think he might come today. So should we look after the things in our relationship with God. Not that he might come tomorrow. But he might come today. The way I should approach my relationship with God, the way I should approach church, the way I should approach the altar, the way I should approach preaching, the way I should approach worship, the way I should approach the Word of God should be, I may not see the end of the day on this side. I might be on the other side by the end of the day. Did you know that there are over 1,845 references to the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament? 17 Old Testament books give the second coming prominence. In the New Testament, 260 chapters. There's 318 references to the second coming of Christ in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, that's one out of every 30 verses. And yet some will not even know. Some don't even see. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. For every prophecy concerning the birth of Christ... Listen, we talked about all the prophecies regarding the birth of Christ. Did you know for every prophecy regarding the birth of Christ, there are eight regarding his second coming? Eight. And yet we just talked about how many people totally missed his birth, totally missed who he was, had no idea, thought he was a carpenter's son, thought he was a great teacher, had no idea despite a 400-year prophecy being fulfilled on the exact day and over 500 years of prophecy. 
being fulfilled in a single day. Thousands upon thousands of people missed it. And yet for every prophecy regarding his birth, there are eight regarding his second coming. I can tell you today, we cannot afford to miss out on what God is trying to tell his people, what he's trying to tell the world. I'm coming back. I'm returning. I'm on my way. I'm getting ready. I'm on my way. The rapture of the church will be worldwide. For there are true believers in every country on the earth, and that shall be taken. Every country will find itself in turmoil. Each government will have to act as quickly as possible to prevent a wild tide of anarchy and terrorism. Strong measures will be put into effect. Millions of people will suddenly disappear from the face of the earth. From all walks of life, from virtually every phase of life, there will be people missing freeways, subways, airports, streets, shambles, engineers, pilots, bus drivers, multitude of private car owners shall suddenly be caught up out of this world in the twinkling of an eye. It will be many days before they can unscramble the mangled cars and trains and fallen aircraft. Remaining millions of people will be wailing and dazed and shaken by the event. Be frantically striving to locate loved ones on all of the rubble of broken cars and broken storefronts and smashed residences. Communications will be greatly disrupted. Many key persons shall disappear and much of the lines of communication that are still above ground will be broken by cars crashing, aircraft down, distraught, searching. Multitudes will jam and overload the communication lines and systems that do remain. Dazed and confused pleas from bewildered men over alert systems will try to bring some semblance of order. Policemen, firemen, rescue crews everywhere. And in that moment, for many, it will be clear, just as clear as it is for us as we stand on this side of his birth. Because we can stand here and go, how did they not know? How, with all of those prophecies, where he would be born, when he would be born, what his name would be, what family he would come out of, how could they not know? And yet... In that moment, after the church is raptured out of here, all of those prophecies that many do not seem to see now, they will see it then. They will know in that moment, how could we have not known? How could we have not seen? Brothers and sisters, can I tell you, the objects in your Bible are closer than they appear. <laughs> The rapture of the church, as close as you might think it is, is probably closer than what you even realize right now. 
As we get so caught up in our day-to-day affairs and our job and making a living and doing what we have to do just to get by every day, can I challenge you not to get so distracted from the big picture? Can I challenge you today not to get so caught up in the frivolous things of this earth that you do not see, that you're about to inherit eternal life, that you're about to spend eternity on the other side, and that there is a reward on the other side waiting for you? Not in my notes today, but I just felt it in the Holy Ghost this morning because I was challenged by it. I thought to myself, Pastor Ogden, when I think about all that he did to obtain my salvation, robed himself in flesh, walked among us, died, was resurrected, poured his spirit out, just so that I could experience salvation, that same God has gone away to prepare a place that I'm going to be happy in. All that he did for my salvation, imagine he's doing all of heaven for my happiness. I promise you, child of God, when you get there, (laughs) happiness is not going to be the problem. Peace is not going to be the problem. You will never encounter a moment in heaven where you ever wish you could come back here. There will never be a second on the other side that you reflect back on anything on this side and wish you could experience it. The same God that spoke the world into existence is the same God that's gone to prepare a place for you. Even today, as we gather this morning, they are gathering on the world stage making final preparations for the coming of the Lord. Even as I stand here this morning, nations are gathering at the doorstep of Israel. Even as I'm preaching right now. With the interconnectivity of nations, it's now becoming not just possible but probable that other nations such as Iran, Russia, and China will be pulled into this conflict. I don't say that to tell you, to to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm going to stand before God and He's going to ask me, did you sugarcoat it? Were you afraid of offending them? Woe is me, Paul said, if I don't preach. It's my job. Woe is me. I don't have an option. I don't have a choice. I got to tell you, God's about to come back. I got to let you know he's about to return. Does anyone else see yet another incredible biblical prophecy being unfolded right before us? Right now. The Bible teaches us that the great final war would revolve around Israel. Now, we know that like it's common knowledge, but I want you to think about that a moment. Practically speaking, one would ask, how can the entire world be pulled into a conflict over a nation that is seven times smaller than North Carolina? The entire world revolving around a nation that you could fit seven times in North Carolina. And yet this book, this book, the same book that declares and declared his birth, 
the same book that declares his second coming, told us, let us know that the world would gather at the borders of this small nation. Israel wasn't even a nation until 1948, 75 short years ago. Can I remind someone here today, the New Testament was written less than 100 years after the resurrection of Christ. The prophecy of this conflict is over 1,900 years old. And you can pull up your phone right now and read about it happening right now. And yet, there are so many that are oblivious to the obvious. How could wise men travel miles and miles and miles to see something that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't see and they were practically in the same town because we see it happening right now. We see the same thing taking place right here. October 2023. How can so many be oblivious to something that is so obvious. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, it's closer than even what it may appear to you today. Stand with me. I want to challenge somebody today. I want to let somebody know today. I want to let the one who's been procrastinating your relationship with God to hear me today. I preach to the one who's been reserving, holding back, keeping apart back. I pray today that you would completely surrender to God. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is a sin. Pastor, I'm not in gross immorality. I'm not doing anything that's terrible. I'm not living in sin. Are you giving everything you got? Have you completely sold out to Christ? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him. I want to challenge someone here today. In this moment, at this hour. Because I really don't know what else to say. If not now, I don't know when. And if not here, I don't know where. Because... He's about to come back. The Lord is about to return. And if there is anything inside of you that thinks about the coming of the Lord and it creates apprehension or anxiety or worry or stress or dread, the Bible says it should not be that way. Comfort one another with these words. You can walk out of this sanctuary this morning saying, I don't know when, I think it's about to happen. But whether it happens today, tomorrow, six months from now, because of that relationship that I have with God, because of that prayer that I prayed, because of what I committed to today, because of what I started at that altar, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. I open these altars up today to anybody that says, Pastor, I want to make absolutely sure that no part of me is withheld from God. I pray today that no one walks out of here not ready 
for the imminent, for the sudden, for the transformative catching away of God's church. Lift your hands and close your eyes and pray a prayer right now of repentance. God, make me ready. Make me ready, God. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I feel the stirring of the Holy Ghost. I feel the moving of the Holy Ghost right now. I want to be ready. I don't want to look eternity in the face with fear. I don't want to face what's to come with anxiety. I want to be comforted with the fact that I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm right. I'm ready to meet God. You can walk out of here with that confidence. You can walk out of here knowing with assurance today I'm ready to meet him. Mighty God. I come against apprehension. God, I come against the procrastination of a spirit today. I bind spirits that God try to hinder the yielding of your people today. Let there be a complete surrendering of every heart. Let there be a heartfelt, deep, sincere, repented prayer upon every lip right now, God. Draw your people right now, God, to the foot of the cross. Draw your people, God, into a deeper relationship with you. We look for that day, God. We long for that day, God. Spirit God. Renew in me, God. Your spirit. Pray for somebody next to you right now. Pray they get the breakthrough they need. Pray any apprehension out. Any unyielding. Any holding back. Any non-surrendering. God, let them surrender to you.